Beyond the Ball, fueling your faith and family through sport. Welcome to the Beyond the Ball podcast with Coach Eric Klump and Coach Justin Gersten. Hey, Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Beyond the Ball. Be sure to check out our other coaching-focused podcasts, including the CoachMaze.com podcast, Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Players Court, The Green Light, and Bleachers and Boards. We're also building our stable of NBA pods on the Hoopheads podcast network, including Cavaliers Central, Grizz and Grind, Knuck If You Buck, 305 Culture, Blazing the Path, Thunderous Applause, Hashtag Lakers, Motor City Hoops, X's and O's, NBA Breakdown, The Wizards Hoops Analyst, Spanning the Spurs, and the LA Hoops Pod. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. All right, guys, we're back with another Beyond the Ball podcast with Coach Eric Klump. I'm Coach Justin Gerstung. Tonight, I'm super excited, Coach. We are going to get into it with a 716 native, but who is doing really cool things at the Division One men's basketball level. So how are you feeling about tonight? Oh, I'm really excited to talk to Adam. I mean, he, he moved out to the West Coast and has done some great things out. Um, now he's living in the Pac-10 area and working with Stanford and as the associate head. Man, he, he's really put in his time and grinded. So I'm really excited to talk to Adam. Yeah, he's doing a great job. I think uh, one of the things, and we have a little bit of a local connection with one of our former guests that we'll get into a little bit more, but um, just really cool things with coaching development, you know, does a lot of speaking at coaches clinics and involved in a lot of those areas too, which I know a lot of people that listen are are interested in maybe those job opportunities or professional professional opportunities. So hopefully you can give us some insights and see what it's like you know, being from the 716, but kind of working across the country. Right. All uh, about what we're trying to do with this pod, you know, grow the game, working with individuals on achieving goals, going after their goals, working hard. You know, he, he's done it. So it'll be great to talk to him and, and ha- hear him and give us advice. Yeah. And speaking of advice, what a great segue. So what kind of advice uh, do you have for us tonight? A little coaching nugget, maybe. Oh, okay. Uh, my coaching nugget actually deals with free throws. I think that um, you should definitely be practicing free throws and practicing free throws in the most intense situations that you can um, after sprints, after your hardest drill. And I would say not as a, as a coach, don't be afraid to double up on the stipulations for your team. Make it a, a um, an area where all eyes are on that shooter. Um, and, and we track them, you know, we only have one or two coaches or maybe three coaches at a time. And we, we log and we stat free throws especially. But one thing that I've noticed is sometimes it is not our highest percentage free throw shooter that we want at the end of the game on the line. And through these intense situations, you'll learn who those kids are that just want the ball because they were made for those moments. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, what it, one of my biggest um, trouble spots, I think, coaching is how to really get effective free throw practice. So I, I love that you hear that. And maybe off off the record, you and I can get into that a little bit more depth than we have time. But I read a thing the other day about variable practice and, you know, changing up the rhythm, shooting it live in practice and then, 
you know, shooting it, you know, and giving them time to really work on their free throw routine. So varying up the practice is is really helping as well, maybe. So yeah, I love that coaching nugget. Mine tonight is maybe more for, you know, either an athlete or a coach. Um, and just the idea of doing a little after action review, anytime you maybe have a practice or a workout, you could do this in terms of a game. I sometimes even do this after a class. I just ask myself three real quick questions just to kind of reflect on what just happened. And those three questions, I'll give them really quick, are what went well during that session. So whether it's a workout or a practice or a class, um, what things went well? And then question number two would be what things didn't go so well or according to the plan. And then the third question would ultimately be, how can we do it better next time? And I've really started using this over the last couple of years, and it's really helped me to guide my practices from day to day. But also it has allowed me to also, you know, keep in context you know, the bigger picture, because sometimes, especially after games, you know, you go into that that locker room afterwards and whether it's after a big win or a big loss, you know, you can dwell on the negative and, and kind of get wrapped up. And, you know, none of those guys are really going to be listening too closely to what you say in that exact moment. So keeping it short and keeping it to the point, you know, and giving yourself some time to reflect um, is always a good thing. So what went well, what didn't go well, and how can we do it better? Just some useful tools for reflection. Yeah, what a great way to self-assess and bring the team together and, and moving as one heartbeat. You know, you might be in a situation where you be you believed as a coach that uh, something went really well and, and there's three or four, to your, four of your captains or leaders are kind of shaking their head, scratching their head about, you know, maybe they, they didn't really understand what, what you wanted, but the drill looked good. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, maybe just a little bit of advice, because uh, I know we're going to hear a bunch of great stuff from Adam tonight. Just a couple of nuggets from us as well. What about a verse? You got something to get us spiritually right before we yeah, end this for conversation? Sure. I got I got Galatians 5.26 here. Um, you know, we're heading into the holidays and we got Jesus on our heart for sure, as that's the reason for the season. So, um, you know, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoked, provoke one another or be jealous of another. And it just brings me back to that, you know, as adults, our most effective lessons can be taught by those that we live in front of others, especially in front of the children. So your values, your motives, and your ethics will be passed on to our children. So doing it in the right way through action, just like Jesus did, will be the most effective. Yeah, I, I love that verse. Um, in particular, just the idea of living your beliefs through your actions is a very important priority. I think in no matter what phase of life you're in, but um, as a coach, I think your athletes sometimes will see right through you if you know, you tell them one thing and then do something completely different. Because uh, I know that's how it works as a parent, right? You have, I have four kids and it's really hard, especially now that they're, you know, in high school and middle school, you tell them to do one thing and then you do exactly the opposite. Um, they, they'll call you on that real quick. Um, kids yeah. are, kids are not, they're always watching. Um, they're always watching you. So yeah, tis the season um, just to celebrate the Lord and all the blessings that that we have. And so hopefully if people are listening, they continue to 
get something out of the podcast. I think for me, what these last couple of months with you have been like is just allowing me to stay humble, as the verse said, and just allowing me to keep developing my faith as well. So I celebrate you for kind of keeping me on that that path. I'm going on two and a half months here of doing some daily reading and journaling, uh, which is new new to me, but it, I'm finding it very uplifting. So I appreciate you for that and these conversations. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually was just wrote in my daily prime about fear, the fear when you first asked me um, to do this, I was like, I listen to podcasts. I don't want to be host. What do I know about hosting podcasts and being in somewhat of like the journalism realm? And I was like, well, you can't fear fear. Fear is your mind killer. You just got to get put put the feet in action, put the pen to paper, and and just do your best and see what happens. So and celebrate for the opportunity. It's been it's been great. Yeah, absolutely. So with that, let's celebrate uh, Adam Cohen. Uh, associate head coach at Stanford. We're going to break real quick. And when we come back, we'll have coach with us. Hey, hoop heads. We all hate ankle sprains and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com. Spelled A-R-Y-S-E. And use the code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off the future of performance. That's A-R-Y-S-E.com with promo code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off. All right, guys, we're back with Beyond the Ball. We're joined on this episode by um, Adam Cohen, who is a 716 guy, a local guy who has been gracious enough to join us on this podcast. Adam, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing well. Really appreciate you guys having me on and uh, looking forward to having a good discussion. Absolutely. Uh, Again, Coach, thanks for coming on. So as being, you know, Coach and I are are both – working here, coaching here in the 716 Western New York area. So how does someone who grew up graduating from this area make his way out to Pac-10 country and actually get a start with legendary coach Lute Olson? You know, it's a uh, pretty wild story. Uh, I think everybody in this business has their own story, right? And it's a little bit different for everyone. And uh, I never expected to go out west or anything like that i didn't know anything about it just probably like you guys too just being buffalo guys uh you know you're kind of in your own bubble in in western new york so uh, i actually as a junior in high school i love basketball i was a okay player um and i actually probably the best thing about my basketball high school career was i played with gronk in high school um rob g was a good friend of mine he was a sophomore when i was a senior at williamsville north so we played uh, high school ball together, had some good teams. And then I, I played division three ball my freshman year of college at Hobart in upstate New York. But as a junior in high school, I knew I wanted to stay with basketball the rest of my life in somehow, some way, even though I knew it wasn't going to be playing forever. So I wrote letters to every college coach in the country, handwritten letters, and I got um, close with Josh Pastner. Um, that was the assistant coach at Arizona. I wrote him a letter. He called me back. We stayed in contact. And long story short, I wasn't really happy at Hobart, really because I 
playing was not my future. And I realized that I wanted to coach. So I reached out to Josh and I just said, Hey, I don't know what you guys can do, but any suggestions you have, um, you know, would love to, to hear it. And, and I go out there and meet their staff and end up getting a manager's job. And it was just an unbelievable opportunity to learn from the best of the best. And next thing you know, I'm on a flight to Tucson, Arizona and don't know anybody and just try to work my way up. So Adam, we're going to get into maybe the rest of your journey a little bit, but I think letters and writing letters, is that something that, because we've had, Coach and I have had some former athletes that are trying to, to break into the college basketball business. Um, is that something that you were kind of advised to do? Where did that idea come from? You know, um, so I was uh, in a history class and a teacher named John Burns in, in history class in at Williamsville North High School uh, just said to me, he's like, you're going to coach one day. You're going to coach in the final four. And I just thought, you know, what am I talking? What's he talking about? I don't, I don't know about coaching. And he gave me a couple of books to read, like old John Feinstein books and just started, uh, you know, reading about some of the great coaches and how they got into it, um, whether it was in the ACC or I remember the Patriot League. There was a book I read about. And uh, that kind of just got me started. And, and from there, I, I was able to work camps, um, five-star basketball camp, was a big one for me that, that got me started. And that one started with a letter as well or an email at the time just to try to find a way to get in the door because I really had no idea. Um, and I just worked it whatever I could to form connections and relationships. And as everybody always says, it's all about the relationships you can make and the, the networking opportunities you have. Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, so, I mean, that has to be a little bit of a, like an – an awe moment with getting a call from coach Pastner. And, and I, I, from what I know, that's how he started out as well. Sending yeah. letters out. Right. No, you're right. Um, he had a nice little connection where his dad ran a big AU program in Houston, uh, which helped. But at the same time, he did the same thing. He wrote letters and emails and worked different networking opportunities. Um, and, and same thing. And, and honestly, I never expected it. Like I got a call out of the blue, a five two zero area code number. Josh calls me, and uh, we start talking, and then we just stay in touch. And you know, I, it's one of those things that I know now that if anybody reaches out to me, I will always get back to them because I know what Josh did for me. Yeah. So when you when you finally made your way out there working at those five star camps, was it was it a little like you, you were drowning as a young coach, or did did I, a lot of the older coaches welcome you in with open arms and show you the way? Yeah, you know, when I was at Five Star, and uh, Five Star, you know, has started a number of different coaches with their careers, whether it's Rick Pitino, John Calipari, um, Herb Sendek was another guy that I reached out to early on in the process. Uh, there's just so many guys, Bobby Knight, Coach K. I mean, it all, everyone went through Five Star, especially back in the 80s and 90s. Um, but I went there, <laughs> and I was just going to do any type of work possible. And so what it started off was as a canteen worker, where I was running the camp store and getting all the gear out of boxes and put and hanging them up and filling the, the Gatorade uh, coolers and getting everything ready for the camp, uh, the registration, picking up kids at the airport. That's what I did my first couple summers there. And then what I would do in between all that work is I would have some late night sessions where I would work certain kids out, just some extra work that guys wanted, or I would just go listen to all the coaches teaching in their stations. Um, so I had to work my way up at that camp as well. And, and it's kind of cool that that's kind of my little fraternity 
of coaches um, outside of the college game, a, a bunch of just high school coaches or middle school coaches or AAU coaches who um, got started just because they love the game, nothing else. That's so so powerful, I think, for young kids to hear um, that you, sometimes you just got to pay those dues and continue to work those connections. Um, so you move out to Arizona and then you kind of cross the country back and forth a little bit. How does how does that happen? So when I was at Arizona, um, it was a crazy time in the University of Arizona basketball program. Coach Olson uh, was going through some health issues. He took a leave of absence from the team. Kevin O'Neill took over for the team. Uh, and, you know, he, I got really close with Coach O'Neill. Uh, he gave me a lot of responsibility and Coach Pastner is still on staff. And, you know, I graduated from Arizona that year and I didn't know exactly what I was going to do. Uh, I had the opportunity to potentially go back and just kind of have another year as a student. Um, but I got Coach Pastner recommended me to a guy named Joe Pasternak, who was at the University of New Orleans, who was a former assistant at Cal Berkeley uh, in the same league, and they just had a great relationship. And he recommended me to be his graduate assistant. And uh, so I ended up at University of New Orleans um, for a year as a GA. Uh, and then Coach O'Neill gets the job at USC, and he kind of brought me on to do some video and ops work. Um, just to get started there. So it was a uh, wild ride from Buffalo to Tucson to um, New Orleans, back out west to USC, and then just kind of went from there. And, you know, was fortunate to get my first assistant opportunity at Rice. Yeah, Adam. So when I hear you talk, because we've had a bunch of coaches on and, you know, everybody's path has its own journey. And yours is just I love listening to all these different ways to to get into the business. Has it always been for you um, a, a process where you s seemingly want to like keep rising to like the next role or responsibility, whether it be from GA to, you know, Adobo to an assistant. Now you're an associate head coach. Cause we have talked to some people that have just, you know, have been at the D one level and have settled into some division two or division three programs. Has it always been about, you know, challenging yourself with the next level? Is that conflict ever come um, into thought for you? You know, um, I will say this, I've never, uh, thought of it truly like I just got to go get the next the next opportunity on the stepping stool right uh, it's been more it's just naturally happened I will say this um, and this was not planned at all being a manager then a GA then a video guy then an ops guy then an assistant and then now associate especially at different levels um, has been the best the best uh, preparation for me to hopefully become a head coach there is because I've seen every facet of the program. I've dealt with players in different roles uh, and I've been fortunate to kind of just learn from so many different coaches working in different places. That's been really valuable to me. And uh, it's not for everyone. You know, a lot of guys want to be with one guy the whole time. For me, it's been incredibly valuable um, to, you know, be able to learn from so many different coaches, especially guys that have had great success. And do you think if you at all skipped one of those steps, if it would have actually hindered your progress, like if you weren't breaking down video, if you weren't working one-on-one -on -one and you, and you kind of like skipped the process and moved right up to like an associate coach, do you think it would, you would be where you are? 100% it would have not been beneficial for me. It, this was, this has been an amazing, amazing ride. And every year, 
you know, well, you know how college basketball is. Once you think you know everything, you end up getting your butt kicked and you realize you get humbled really quickly. And uh, that's been a really, really easy uh, thing for me to see over the course of my career. And for me to learn uh, as I've gone, and every year you learn so much. Every year you're in this, you learn so much. And you learn through how to deal with so many different situations. I mean, I don't think anybody could have ever planned on the current situation we're in. But um, at the same time, you got to go through all these different scenarios to learn who you are as a coach, what your values are about, what your team want, what you want your team to be about, what you want your culture to be about. Like I may have thought I knew a lot and every year I learned so much more. So Adam, is you in this, you know, step-by-step process for you, have you found it to be um, work-like or is it so much a passion that you don't even think about it because some of the things that we found talking to coaches is that their journey, you know, in that idea of finding balance with their personal life and putting in the hours, you know, can be a bit overwhelming. We've had some, like I said, we've had some guys try to get into the field and I keep trying to tell them, you know, you're young now, you don't have a family. This is the time to really give it a shot if you want to. Have you found trying to find that rhythm between the work and the personal life manageable or how's that been working out for you (laughs) it depends who you would ask um i'll I'll say (laughs) this uh i say that because i just had my first baby boy with my wife last week oh congrats (laughs) congrats uh, coach no appreciate it and uh it definitely puts things in perspective and especially when you know i had to leave the team for about a week or so just to be back here and actually had a quarantine before I could go in the hospital and everything uh, in our county is just a little bit crazy, but uh, it put everything in perspective. Number one, how much you love, I love being a part of a team and being a part of helping grow a team and not being around the team was not easy. Number two is, you know, obviously when you have a newborn coming to the world, it's just a different feeling than anything else. Um, and that was until you, until you go through it, you just don't, I mean, I, I never, I didn't know what to expect, but I didn't expect what I did feel. Um, I'll also say though, that, uh, it really, this job is not a job for me. It's just, it's what I do. I love it. Um, I'm passionate about learning. I'm passionate about helping a team grow. I'm happy at individuals, passionate about helping individuals achieve their dreams. Um, that's what it's about to me. And, uh, I've really enjoyed every minute of it, even when it's really hard. Yeah. Go ahead, Coach. Go ahead. Yeah, it seems to me like many of the guests that we have on here, Justin, you know, they're always at one point down the road in their career, they're at a crossroads where they they don't know if this is going to actually happen for them. And it seems like Adam never has came across that. And I think it was just more so in the beginning when he was sending out all those letters. And that was when that hard work was done. That was when those crosswords or crossroads came for him. So that's got to be pretty relieving, huh, Coach? Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, uh, there definitely are moments where you do have to figure out what your priorities are. You know, when I was in college as a as a manager with Arizona Basketball, which is the biggest show in town, and all the players are basically celebrities in that town, um, you know, you have to make a decision on, you know, how are you going to be a, a friend of the players because you're the same age? Are you going to try to be a coach? Are you going to try to, like, where, where do you – fill that role um are you going to go to a party at night when you have practice at 8 a.m like those are questions and priorities you're going to have to answer when you're really young you know in college um but yeah for me i've 
it's it's just what I do and I love it. Like it, it really is. I always say like you have to be in it for the right reasons. Um, for me, the reasons are because I love being a part of a team and because I love seeing guys grow and achieve their dreams. Like it's pretty simple uh, in terms of what I want to get out of coaching college basketball. And, uh, you know, it, every day you just kind of work towards those goals and towards those whys. And I think that gives you some clarity. And coach, you you've been obviously we've we've covered that you've been doing this right from right from the jump. So finding a partner in crime, and you know your wife jumping on board, obviously it was pretty made pretty clear from the get go what what this journey was all about for you, right? I would assume. Yeah, she um pretty amazing, and hats off to her because we've moved four times even before we got engaged. Um, she she's from Los Angeles. Uh, we met when I was at USC. She was in law school at UCLA. And uh, she moved to Houston when I worked at Rice in Boston and Nashville and now Palo Alto. So it's uh, four times in, you know, now we're going on about 10 years together. Um, so she sees what it's like. Uh, it has been nice for her to be back in the state of California uh, for the last five years. Uh, but it's it's part of what we do. And uh, there's positives, negatives. And I will say this, it, it anybody that is willing to take the chance to um, get outside yourself, step outside your comfort zone, and you know take different jobs go different places it really makes you grow as a person and uh i just i think there's a lot to that i really do yeah and reading your your resume you've been at some absolutely beautiful campuses um rice stanford usc harvard vanderbilt uh which one's your favorite (laughs) um you know everywhere i've been i honestly really really like um for different reasons, right? And a different point in my life too. Uh, in college at University of Arizona, it's a great place to go to school, especially when you're part of the basketball team. At um, Working at these incredible schools like Rice, Harvard, Vanderbilt, and Stanford, they all have different things. I mean, Boston, the Ivy League is is a unique type place. Houston's a big city. Uh, with a, Rice is a really small academic school, um, but it's a beautiful campus and a beautiful area in Houston. Uh, Harvard, obviously we talked about. And then Vanderbilt, Nashville is an incredible city. And then here at Stanford, the connections, Silicon Valley, you're 45 minutes from San Francisco. It's just the weather in the Bay Area. Uh, Every place is incredible. Uh, And I've been really fortunate to be at amazing, amazing places. So coach, as I'm reading up, you've said it numerous times now, and I, I feel like I need to dig a little deeper you know, about helping players achieve their dreams. But I've, I read up a little bit and you, you're also helping coaches too, right? You're associated with a couple different groups like Rising Coaches uh, that is built to help coaches and get into the business as well, right? Yeah, so um, Rising Coaches is an organization that started when I was the ops guy at USC uh, back in 2010, 2011. And uh, it we really, it was me and about 10 other guys who came into this thing, had no idea what we were doing uh, and just kind of came up with an idea of how can we help the GAs, the video guys, the ops guys um, become, you know, have opportunities to move up, but also learn how to become an assistant coach and learn what it takes. Um, So now this has grown into, you know, a a membership based platform where there's over a thousand members nationally uh, Adam Gordon, who's now in charge of it, is a former assistant coach, ops guy, so on, uh, has done an incredible job over the last year, year and a half, putting it all together. Um, 
and it's it's really amazing. And uh, I'm actually helping, and a number of coaches are helping do a little mentorship program for certain GAs or video guys or managers who just want to have every month basically have someone that they can call a mentor and call on and rely on just to pick their brain about how to work their way up the business. And I know that would help me when I was going through this and hopefully I can help them kind of the same way. Yeah. And coach, I, I, you brought up something right there in your answer, how to become an assistant coach. And when you go to, you know, a, a certain particular university's website, they have assistant coach, director of basketball operations, associate head coach, assistant to the head coach. There's a, and it's kind of like mind blowing. And you're always wondering like, well, what does, does each one, each one of you have a specific job to do? Or are you all like one big team? We're definitely one big team. Um, you know, I don't know that my responsibility is any more or less than any of our other assistant coaches. We're all just working together and doing all we can to help our guys. You know, we all do scouting reports. We all help in player development. We all help with practice planning. We all help with individual workouts. We all help with recruiting, you know, and some of us have different roles, a little bit more important in those areas, but um, we're all in it together and just doing everything we can to um, bring our team together more and more and help us win as many games as we can. Now with recruiting, uh, uh, this is another question that uh, we've had: is is a, is a coach designated to a certain particular area? Yeah. So the way we do it here, um, because Stanford has such a small number of players that we can recruit, because there just aren't that many players that can academically get in here and play at the highest level, um, we try our best to have every coach on our staff see any player that we're really high on either in person or uh, via film before we would ever offer them a scholarship. So if I see a kid in New York, for instance, um, I'll try to get the rest of our staff either out to see him or at least to watch film on him before we would really go all in on him. And that helps us like all get on the same page. And it also helps us have discussions. Um, So we don't necessarily have a region. We just try to be as collaborative as possible to find the right fit for what we want. And so coach, what would the, what would that right fit look like for Stanford? We, we obviously all know Stanford high academics. What kind of players are you and coach has looking for? Yeah, I think um, this has changed, you know, you know, like if you'd asked this question to me uh, when I was either at other places or uh, beginning of my career, I don't know how I would have answered that at, at, Vanderbilt coach Stallings was so big on shooting and you know, he was, he had a saying that if they can't shoot, we won't recruit. And, um, that has always stayed with me. Uh, now here at Stanford coach Haas, he wants kind of upside long lean, uh, versatile athletic guys that can guard multiple positions and be shot makers. Um, we don't recruit a ton of big guys. We, you know, kind of just how the game is going with versatility and spacing and shooting ability and playmaking ability. We, we would love to have as many 6'3 to 6'8 guys as possible who can play um, multiple positions, handle the ball, use pick and roll, stretch it from the outside, and obviously be able to, to guard multiple positions. And, you know, that's hard to find, uh, but that's our goal is to try not to settle and try to find the right guys for that. Yeah, it seems to me that's what that was going to be my next question to you, Adam. Is is how have you seen the game evolve in your time in, in, at the D one level? And it seems to me it's like that positionless basketball has become quite quite the thing. Is that what you're seeing in the Pac ten? For sure. You know the the hard part about it though is everybody every player wants to 
say they're positionless, but it's hard to develop that skill. And it's hard for a six, nine guy who maybe has the offensive skill set of shooting and playmaking ball handling to guard, you know, smaller wings. And we always say you are who you can guard. Uh, and if you can't guard multiple positions, then how are you going to play offensively at that position? And, um, we try the spacing and the shooting ability and the pace of play, uh, is definitely changed over the years. And, and there still are college teams that, you know, will play two posts and try to pound it inside. And that's fine too. There's different ways that things work. Um, but I think we've adjusted pretty well to the you know present day nature of the game. And so coach, you've been a part of so many great staffs and worked for so many, you know, names that people would recognize. Are there any in particular or any things that you would say as you prep maybe for your opportunity that you've taken from them and kind of built into your own personal philosophy? Uh, everything. I mean, from, from people I've worked for and from people I've got to know in the business, you know, um, like when I worked for Tommy Amaker at Harvard, the way he could communicate with a team and the way that the players could truly not buy in, but really like listen and learn and be inspired by him. I'll, I'll always remember about that. Just the, the motivation, the inspiration, the communication he had. Um, Coach Hass here, just building a program from point A to point B to point C and brick by brick. And over the course of five years, we've really taken a big step of growing our culture and our core values and everything else. Um, coach Stallings was an incredible offensive coach. Coach O'Neill, who I worked for USC in Arizona, incredible defensive coach. So I've learned, uh, I I've, would definitely take things from everybody I've worked for, um, different things from different people. And I, I think you learn what to do. You also learn what not to do. And hopefully that can prepare me better, you know, as I keep moving forward. So coach, would you say you're more of an offensive guy or defensive guy, or are you fairly balanced? You know, I, I like to be balanced for sure. Um, I study the game on both ends. I, I definitely have a mindset on what I think wins on both ends. Um, and it's hard, like in recruiting, you have to recruit to what you believe in as a coach. And I think not enough coaches do that. Uh, I think people try to get the right talent, um, but they don't understand the roster building part and how it can all fit together. Um, and for me, you know, if I want to be a great defensive team, then maybe you do have to give up a little bit of skill to get that great defensive team. Um, I always think like the best way to build a team is through your defense. And that's how you get, you know, good fast. Um, and, and you recruit guys who can defend multiple positions, but you also better have some shooting around that where they can stretch the court to, uh, allow yourself to be good offensively. So I think I'm going to jump in. We talked to, and I, this is some place I would like to go in the conversation as well. You got a, a bunch of family involved in the coaching business as well. And we actually talked to your cousin on the pod before, and he talked about recruiting at the division three level and how it's a lot of times just about getting guys that really love to play and are passionate about playing and you get the best player. It sounds to me like you have a little bit more of a, um, a direct approach to who you recruit. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Um, but also like our big thing is we don't want to settle. And at this level, you know, I think we can always, and we're very fortunate to be at Stanford, right? It's an incredible institution. Uh, it's very hard to get into, but they're, 
because fortunately there are going to be kids that have Stanford as a dream school or that have a high interest in our school. So with that, we can't just recruit the guys that want to come here. We have to recruit the guys that fit what we're about and, uh, and who also can, can play at the highest level. And we can't settle for guys that aren't at that level that we need to, to be, you know, to win. And maybe that means they're guys that we can develop and that are just really driven and they're winners. Um, and the mental approach is really, really good. We have to look at all that stuff here. And a big thing with us compared to other Division One schools is, for the most part, we're not going to have a lot of kids transfer out because of the, the, the value of the degree here. Um, and we're not going to get a lot of transfers in. So we have to look at kids who are freshmen and who can build, you know, get better and build themselves up as a sophomore and, and have a drive to really want to improve. Yeah, from what I was reading, uh, one of the things that they're, they were um, high on, you were, your movement up was your development with your guards in each of the programs that you have worked with. Uh, can you just share with us some of the core values that you're trying to push on the development of, of the guards? You know, I, I think any time in player development, it means a lot of different things. Um, every place I've been has been one of those things where uh, – the guards had to have a huge role in everything you do. So uh, I try to spend, I try to spend time with every player, but um, I, you know, when I was at Rice, we had a kid named Max Gersey who ended up uh, having the most starts in Rice history, having the most assists in Rice history. He was a kid who did not have one other division one offer. Uh, when I was at Harvard, Siani Chambers was our point guard who was an all Ivy league player for three years. When I was at Vanderbilt, we had a kid named Wade Baldwin who became a 17th pick in the NBA draft after his sophomore year. Uh, and then this past year here at Stanford, we had Tyrell Terry, who was the first one and done in Stanford history. So I've been around some really, really good guards. Um, and I think, you know, in terms of development, what does it mean? You got to what number one thing in, in recruiting is you got to find guys that you feel fit who you are as a coach. And then you got to let them embrace their talents and embrace the system that will allow them to, kind of be who they are and in all of those situations those guys fit the system that we were playing in and they all had a great opportunity to shine early on in their careers so coach for these these guys that come in that you're working with what what is maybe the approach that you would take with their development so if we had kids listening that are trying to improve their game and maybe try to reach your your level what are some of the areas that they should be focusing on if we're looking for i know every player is different and has different needs but what are some of the basics that you would tell a kid you know if they were playing at will north high school that they should be working on well i think the first thing is just the overall competitiveness and how much you care about winning. Like that's something that is hard to teach when you get to college. Um, if you impact winning and you're on a winning high school team, you're going to be more attractive to me as a college coach because you've got the habits needed, you know, to help impact winning in college. Cause you did it in high school. So being a really competitive player, um, and caring about winning and it really hurts to lose is probably the first thing. Uh, that's not a skill I would say, but it's just something that you have to have as you grow. And then from there, um, dribble, pass and shoot and, and be able to defend your position, right? So can you handle the ball and get your, get a team into offense if you're a guard? Can you make plays in pick and roll? Can you make plays in the open court? Can you make shots off the catch? Can you make shots off the bounce? Can you make shots off the move? Um, do you understand reads? Can you have good vision um, with your passing? And then, you know, I, I just 
I think there's a ton on you are who you can guard, especially as you get to college. Like you're not going to play a ton if on most programs, if you can't guard your man and, and have great confidence um, and great ability to keep your guy in front of you. So uh, dribble, pass, shoot, guarding multiple positions. That's kind of the four areas that I would definitely focus on if I was a, a young guy coming up. So as very talented freshmen come in, do you also think the, the, the strength and the maturity of the older men, 21, 22, um, trumps maybe some sp- speed and skill at, for some freshmen coming in? Yeah, and you know we're dealing with that right now with a couple of our young guys. Um, no question, but at the same time, talent through hard work, through discipline, through having the right mindset and competitive spirit um, – can overcome that physicality part. We, we don't mind recruiting skinny, a uh, little underdeveloped physical, physically guys, if we feel like they have those other areas, um, talent, skill level, competitiveness, drive, caring about winning. Uh, that's important to us. I mean, Tyrell Terry, our freshman last year who just got drafted by the Dallas Mavs after his freshman year was a borderline top hundred player he weighed 150 pounds as a freshman here at Stanford almost the entire year, 6'1", 150 pounds. And next thing you know, he's the 31st pick in the draft, signed a four-year contract and is on to great things. And that was because he had those other you know, intangibles um, outside of just the physicality part. So, Adam, I'm going to switch it up here a little bit. Um, in our conversations and getting ready for having you come on, we, we found that you have a bunch of family members in the coaching biz. Is this something that's always been, you know, like family discussions around the dinner table at like Thanksgiving? Or is this just kind of been a unique situation where you have so many people involved in the game? <laughs> this, was, uh, this was not planned at all. Um, so my first cousin's... David Birkin and Michael Birkin. You mentioned Michael um, a little while ago and now coaching Division Three ball at SUNY Maritime in New York. Um, my, my, his brother, younger brother, David Birkin, is our director of basketball operations here at Stanford. Um, and I don't know if he's going to end up coaching when it's all said and done or maybe get into athletic administration. Um, Michael and I had so many battles growing up in his backyard, just playing one-on-one and shooting, going to camps that we knew – you know, basketball was what we did. That was our passion. And no, it didn't, I don't think either of us would have expected that I'd be at Stanford or he'd be the head coach at SUNY Maritime, you know, at the age of 34 and at the age of 31, um, like he is. But I do know that we're, you know, very fortunate, excited. And, and also, you know, we didn't have family members that were in the business prior to us. Uh, we kind of made it on our own, which I think is pretty cool. Um, and we've been able to work together um, and learn from each other in different ways as well. Yeah, that's got to be such a cool thing to be like um, like a maverick and pave the way and then see uh, other individuals in the family, you know, follow suit for you. Yeah, no, for sure. It's uh, It's been fun to – it's been fun to grow together. It just has. And uh, be able – he, you know, he watches our games. I watch his games. Um, we definitely are able to provide feedback to each other. So we can just try to get our teams better. So, Coach, I wanted to ask you a question about um, Literacy Coaching Council in 2017. What's that all about? Yeah, so um, a guy named John Wilfong, who I got to know when I was working at Vanderbilt, uh, put together a 
community service initiative called uh, Coaches for Literacy. Um, and we just try to bring awareness to literacy issues amongst, you know, in, in the country. And you'll see a number of teams throughout the year. Uh, in most years, wear a, a bright green tie uh, that kind of shows uh, that's the literacy patch, if you want to say. Um, and we just kind of get the word out, try to help this, try to raise some funds to for literacy all over the country. Um, and John lived in Memphis. I was in, in Nashville and we got connected and uh, been good friends ever since and just trying to be there for a good cause. So Adam, in this opportunity, and that's such a great cause, you see a lot of teams do things like this and including things like, you know, coaches versus cancer. What is your, um, take on the overall role that you think athletics plays, um, either socially with, you know, coaches versus cancer and literacy. It seems to me like you guys seem to have a really good platform to get the word out. Yeah, I think as coaches, not just our job to win basketball games. It just isn't, it's not our job just to help develop the young people. Um, it is our job to make sure our guys graduate it is our job to make sure we're an example for the university, an example in the community, um, and making sure that like are you we're we represent our university in a proud way. Um, and coaches are such a are such public figures in most college towns that the least thing we can do is provide a little bit of money and a little bit of time to you know uh, different different sources that need it more than we do. And, um, you know, whatever it may be, everybody has different interests and different things that, uh, they may want to support. But I think college basketball and college athletics in general, and a lot of college campuses are the forefront of the university. Um, and it's up to us as coaches to kind of represent the university and represent ourselves in the way that we all know we should. Yeah, just a wonderful response, Coach. I know we're running up on time, so I have a couple more questions I wanted to get to you. The first is we all know that uh, this this year with COVID has been such a, a different um, atmosphere in, in almost every sport. So um, tell us what it's like coming into the arena, getting tested and everything that you have to go through, maybe just to practice on a daily basis. Uh, well, I'll start this way. Uh, our team came back last night. We played last night in Santa Cruz, which is about an hour from Stanford, um, because we're not able to practice or play in our county right now. So we're, our team's been on the road for 23 or 24 straight days, um, and we have not played one home game. Uh, we've done pretty well overall. We've had some neutral site games, and we've played in Santa Cruz, which is the home of the G League Warriors team. Um, that's been our pseudo home gym for the last few weeks. Uh, so that alone is difficult for our players, for the mental health of them, as well as obviously for the coaches and our families. Uh, but the way we do it now is every day we have practice, we get tested. Um, sometimes we get tested twice a day in all, we get tested about eight times per week here at Stanford. Um, and it's a, a fun nasal swab every day, every morning. Uh, it's a mix of the rapid antigen tests plus, uh, the PCR tests, which are a little more in depth. And, uh, you know, we've had a couple false positive tests where, um, we've realized that we haven't had it on our team, but it came back positive and they had to do some follow-up tests, which took us out of practice for that day. Uh, we haven't used the locker room one time this year. 
We haven't ate a meal as a team one time this year. We all take to-go meals back to our hotel rooms. Um, so yeah, it's been beyond different, uh, but for our guys, they really want to play and we're going to keep trying to do all we can to put them in position to keep going. Yeah, and, and as a coach and even as it puts yourself in their shoes, they're missing out on a, a lot of what makes a team a team, right? Yeah, no, for sure. And the college experience. I mean, the interaction in the dorms, the uh, interaction in classes, uh, it's just not anything normal uh, for this year. And I really hats off to our guys because not only have they been safe as can be, um, they've handled themselves with like true dignity. They've handled their business um, and they're making sacrifices. And uh, they're making, I always say, they're making sacrifices for the unknown. We don't know what it's going to come, uh, but we're just going to try to do our best today to be, you know, to be at our best. And uh, that's all we can control. And we're going to do the best we can. All right. I got one last one now. Uh, you know, being in the Western New York area, Syracuse is, is big, one of the hometown favorites. Well, UB's coming up. So, but, uh, you know, growing up, you see that, that vaunted 2 3 zone and everybody makes such a big deal out of it. But now you guys get to see it twice a year, right? With Washington. Yep, for sure. No, and, Coach Hop. And so, my question to you is do it, is it as big of a deal as everybody makes it out to be? Like, a, a, getting, or is it a lot more difficult playing it against it at that level with such length and movement in the zone? Yeah, so Washington over the last few years has been really, really difficult to play against. They've done a great job recruiting. Um, you know, Coach Hop, his first two years at UW, won Coach of the Year in the Pac-12. And so it, uh, the length, the versatility, um, the ability to take away threes and force tough twos is real. And it takes, you know, a few days of practice and game planning to – uh, get ready for it. And we've had some success against their zone, but it absolutely uh, causes most teams and us trouble uh, more that because it's so different than other teams play. And, you know, when you play a traditional man-to-man team, you're prepared for them because you work on it every day. When you play Washington zone, which is really, it's not even a two, three because their wings are so high. Um, it just need you need a lot of time to prepare and get reps on how you're going to scheme against it. Coach, I love the little insights. They even had, uh, I think they had a little Western New York guy there that just got drafted too, right? Yeah, Isaiah Stewart, great player. Um, from from the Rochester area, I believe, yeah. Yeah, he's so terrific. Good. Yeah, he's so terrific. Good. Hey, so Coach, we are running up on it, but before we get out of here, we always like to do some fun, like Western New York, Buffalo-style questions. So um, I, I don't know if I have to ask, but I guess I should. We had one guest that um said no to this but i'm assuming you're a a buffalo bills fan absolute diehard absolute diehard and uh so real quick before you even keep going my family's had season tickets forever um i grew i went to every game every home game growing up uh and obviously couldn't be happier prouder of our team and uh it's, it's really cool you know every sunday we myself, David Birkin is on our staff. And then actually Stanford hired the video guy from the Buffalo Bills. (laughs) So he's actually here and he does some of our graphics and things like that. And so we we try to watch as many games together um, as we can. And it's been, yeah, it's just been amazing to watch those guys and see the culture that Coach McDermott has, has put through. 
Now, Josh, Josh Allen's from out by you, right? Is it yeah, in Fresno that area? area? He's from Fresno area, so about three hours from us. Uh, okay. Yeah, suburb of Fresno. So it's weird to see uh, one of those, you know, West Coast guys just thriving here. And he's done such a great job for the community, too. I mean, I think all of Western New York is really bought in uh, on him as a person and as a player. No, he he's a perfect fit for Buffalo. He's in, he's embracing the community. He embraces what you know Bills fans and Bills Mafia is and are. Um, man, it's it's been so exciting to see him get better and lead this team. And also, you see how amazing the other players talk about him. Right? There's every single guy on the team, and, and for good reason. He puts his body out there for the team. He's a leader. Um, he gives it his all. But it. I know he impresses the heck out of me as a coach, just in terms of how he's been able to improve and grow as a leader. So any Super Bowl predictions? Man, we got we to gotta go for the Bills, right? I'm just hoping there's some way, uh, I don't know how this would be possible, but some way that if they make it there, uh, I can be there somehow, some way. And uh, <laughs> I don't know how it's going to work out or what our timing is and all that, but same time i know that i'll be rooting hard and um i mean every minute every game on sundays or whatever day the games are uh i'm tuned in as long as we don't have a game or practice okay so coach who's made who who's in the afc championship and who is in the nfc championship who you got you know pittsburgh's obviously struggling right now i would say kansas city and us would be my thought um you know the nfc is interesting right like uh I still think Russell Wilson uh, is going to come through. I just, you know, he's just a warrior, and and their team, their defense is struggling a bit. But I still like, I still think Seattle is going to make a run at this thing. And you think whoever's coming out of the AFC is taking it all? I do, man. Got for our Bills. I think our Bills oh, are ready yeah, to roll. Sure. We're on a roll right now. All Absolutely. Right. So, Coach, I'm going to jump in. So, if you're watching a Bills game. And we're in Western New York. Um, do we uh, participate in wing eating? <laughs> so uh, let me say this. We're uh, being out here in Palo Alto, California, multiple times. I actually still have some leftovers. We have ordered bocce pizza um, oh, nice. to be delivered from Buffalo out here. So we get it shipped out. <laughs> they ship it out and gets here in oh, two wow. days. And you just it comes frozen and you just put it in the oven and you're ready to roll with it. Uh, you know, pretty quickly. So we, have, I still have some in my freezer, but uh, Bocce's is my go-to for pizza. So we ordered some pizza, some wings, and uh, there's nothing like it. That's for sure. Yeah, I was just going to ask. So it, it sounds like there's no comparison to uh, to the Buffalo food. Hey, not for me, man. I I'm Buffalo long time, long through, and that's that's who I am. I'm actually I should send you guys a picture, but I'm sitting in my Buffalo Bills leather recliner right now. Um, this is what <laughs> I mean. I'm a diehard. I, I trust me on that. All right, all right. Well, Coach, it's been a wonderful time having you on, having great conversation. I wish your boys and your team all the the luck in the world here coming on, and hopefully everybody's staying safe and we can complete the season. So, thank you again for coming on. No, I really appreciate you guys having me, and uh, feel free to reach out anytime. And uh, thanks for your kind words, and we're looking forward to keep this thing going. All right, thanks, Coach. Appreciate you. No doubt. Talk to you soon. If you have an existing podcast or are looking to launch your own pod but aren't sure where to start, the team at My Podcast Manager can help. 
Our podcast team works behind the scenes so you can do what you do best. We'll help you launch your podcast, make it sound great, and free up your time for the more enjoyable parts of podcasting. If you're ready to put your podcast editing, production, and promotion on autopilot with a trusted team of podcasting professionals, visit mypodcastmanager.com to get started. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Ball podcast with Coach Eric Klump and Coach Justin Gersten. 